Welcome to the Under the Sea Bass podcast. In this episode, we travel to the country of Iran. The Islamic Republic of Iran, or Persia, how it's also called, is a country located in Western Asia, or how we know it as the Middle East, bordering the likes of Iraq, Turkey, Armenia, Azerbaijan, Turkmenistan, Afghanistan, and Pakistan. With a population of over 82 million people, it is the 18th most populous country in the world today. It has a deep history, home to one of the world's oldest continuous major civilizations, with historical and urban settlements dating back thousands of years. Today, Iran is still a major political player in the international stage and a country you have probably heard a lot about lately in the news. So let's find out what is going on right now in the country of Iran. Anger, frustration, and growing concern in Tehran as people protested against the 200% increase in fuel prices. Many simply turned off their engines on major highways across the city to show their disappointment at the sudden decision to raise petrol prices overnight. Yes, yeah, so here's the story. On November 15th, the government of Iran decided to cut major fuel subsidies, causing the price of gas to skyrocket. It first raised by 50% and then a few hours later by 200%. And if you're not so good with math, don't worry, here's an example. Imagine living here in New Jersey, where a gallon of gas is around $2.60, and waking up the next day and a gallon of gas now costs over $8. A very significant difference. And as you would imagine, in Iran, people were not happy about that. Protesting spread to over 100 cities across the country, cities such as Tabriz, Isfahan, Shiraz, and the capital, Tehran. They began by demonstrating in the streets, with many people abandoning their vehicles in the middle of highways to create roadblocks. It then escalated to some burning gas stations and chanting for the removal of the president, Hassan Rouhani, and Supreme Leader Ali Khamenei. It didn't take long for protesters to begin clashing with police and members of the Revolutionary Guards, a branch of the Iranian military. These security forces have responded by using tear gas, water cannons, and shooting live ammunition at protesters with the hopes of crushing dissent. As at the time of this recording, over 100 people are believed to be killed, even though Amnesty International says that number may actually be higher. Regardless, spurring up major international condemnation for the guards' lethal tactics and crushing what began as peaceful protest. The following day, November 16th, the Iranian government decided to literally shut down all internet access across the country, perhaps with the hopes of disallowing the information and videos of violence in the country to spread globally. However, that has not worked. The government, on the other hand, blames the United States for the unrest. Today the situation is good. Most of the key elements behind the riots have been identified and arrested. Yet again, the Americans have failed. They have added another defeat to their records. Alright, so there's a lot to unfold here, so let us begin by providing some backstory as to what led to the gas price increase. For that, let's travel back as early as 2007. The United States imposed economic sanctions on Iran because they wouldn't stop their uranium enrichment program, a program that could help them produce more electricity for the country, or world-destroying nuclear weapons. 
you know, whichever your preference is. They impose sanctions on gas and oil production as well as other financial sectors, restricting Iran from taking part in international trade. Also, it's important to quickly note that Iran's economy is mostly centered on its oil and gas production with 80% of its exports. In other words, the real moneymaker here for Iran is gas and oil. As a result, Iran's economy took a hit, but it didn't stop them from continuing their uranium enrichment program, while at the same time now testing missiles. In 2010, the United Nations imposed sanctions on Iran, hurting the economy even more. By 2011, its currency, the rial, lost 80% in value compared to the dollar. But then, in 2015, the United States, some European countries, and Iran signed the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, or simply known as the Iran Nuclear Deal, with a trade-off that Iran would not continue their uranium enrichment program for 10 years, and the United States and European countries would drop their economic sanctions that Iran badly needed removed. The following year, the sanctions were dropped, and the Iranian economy was beginning to show signs of recovery. But then, in 2018, now U.S. President and human jack-o'-lantern Donald Trump announced the U.S. would withdraw from the Iran nuclear deal and reimpose sanctions on Iran. The Iran deal is defective at its core. The United States will withdraw from the Iran nuclear deal. This year, the Trump administration imposed even more sanctions after a pretty big attack on a Saudi Arabian oil field was believed to be perpetrated by Iran. This time, the United States targeted Iranian banks and threatened to sanction just about anybody who bought oil or made deals about buying oil from Iran, really putting a small-fisted chokehold on the Iranian economy. As a response, the government of President Hassan Rouhani decided to cut subsidies to counteract the loss in revenue, something as we now know has not made people happy. And although U.S. sanctions can be partly to blame for the woes of the Iranian economy, it can also be attributed to internal corruption within the regime, economic mismanagement, and the fact that Iran has spent billions of dollars in recent years funding proxy wars in Lebanon, Palestine, Yemen, and Syria. But it's not just the economy that people in Iran are frustrated about. They're also frustrated with years of what they consider strict, autocratic, and at times violent repression of free speech done by the Islamic Republic. University students in Tehran can be heard saying death to the dictator, referring to Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, and perhaps sparking the possibility of yet another regime change in Iran. President Rouhani has said that Iran is experiencing one of its hardest years since the 1979 Islamic Revolution. And I'm so glad that President Rouhani brought that up, because to really understand what has culminated for the desire of regime change in Iran, and why people are protesting for this now, we must quickly travel back to the year 1979. A momentous moment in Iranian history took place. Residents, revolutionaries, soldiers, driving through the streets where there are no traffic jams, waving pistols, rifles, machine guns. The end of Iran's monarchy came early today when Khomeini's followers took control of the palace of the Shah. The imperial guards there gave up without a struggle. Two of Iran's top generals, the commander of the ground forces, and the head of the Shah's imperial guards have been killed. The Khomeini followers also located the military governor of Tehran and his aide. Both of them have been taken into custody. It is said they will be tried. Without getting into too many specific details, the Islamic Revolution was a series of events in 1979 that led to the overthrow of the last king of Iran, Mohammad Reza Pahlavi, an autocratic ruler who returned to power in 1953 with the help of a U.S. and British-backed coup. 
1963, Reza Pahlavi launched the White Revolution, a program aimed at land reform and introduced major socio-economic and political changes to the country, particularly replacing Islamic laws with more Western laws, all the while forcefully forbidding women from wearing a hijab in public, no separation of the sexes, and forbidding traditional Islamic clothing. He was catering more to the Western culture of the United States and Europe. But you know who wasn't down with that? The religious clergy and their supporters. In 1978, thousands across Iran protested for the removal of the Shah, upset about the forceful detentions and claiming he was a puppet of the United States. Then enters stage left a cleric by the name of Ruhala Khomeini. He returns to Iran after being on a hiatus for 13 years and continued to fuel the protests for removing Reza Pahlavi from power. Eventually, the Shah was forced out and exiled. Later in April 1979, a referendum vote transformed Iran from a monarchy to an Islamic republic, and Khomeini became the supreme leader, reintroducing strict Islamic laws back to society. What followed was decades of anti-U.S. policy in Tehran, most famously the hostage situation in 1980. Domestically, education and healthcare improved, and the practice of Islam was welcomed across the country. But now let's fast forward to 2003. Major criticisms against the theocracy began to arise. University students in particular were becoming upset with the clerical establishment, specifically the lack of political freedom, governmental honesty and efficiency, economic inequality, and the lack of personal freedoms for women in particular. For instance, this year alone, Iranian women have demonstrated their own displeasure by publicly removing their hijab, a crime in the country. The government responded by finally allowing women to attend a soccer game, the first since 1981. While there is no law, Iranian women have effectively been banned from stadiums when men are playing since the 1979 Islamic Revolution. The ban also extends to men's volleyball and basketball matches. But regardless as a result of these strict secular laws today, widespread dissatisfaction, especially among younger Iranians who were born after the revolution and ever more socially connected to the Western world, find it difficult to understand what their parents were so passionate about in 1979. Couple that with years of governmental mismanagement, constant interference of outside powers messing with their economy, and authorities trying to silence the news by shutting off internet access and killing hundreds, House is wondering, can the clerical establishment that has ruled Iran since 1979 be on the brink of collapse? Much awaits to be seen before jumping into any concrete conclusions there, but until then, in my humble opinion, this shift of New Age thinking in the anti-clerical generation will continue to challenge the political and governmental system in Iran. And it's not that Iranians reject Islam, they are simply unhappy with the strict laws imposed on them because of it. It's like when your mom would force you to go to church every Sunday. Kind of the same thing. Out of the fact that the price of gas and food and other goods continue to rise in Iran, and you have a recipe for disaster. The government in recent days has claimed there is an end, with protests finally over. But that doesn't seem very true. Waves of protests and frustrations will likely continue to ravage this historical and influential nation. Until one side, either the people or the people in charge, ends victorious. So an update on this episode is very likely. This has been Under the Sea Bass, Episode 5 on Iran. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much for listening to Under the Sea Bass episode 5 on Iran. Of course, I want to give thank yous and shout outs to my sources for this episode. Farnaz Fasihi from the New York Times, BBC Persian reporter Hadi Neely, the Canadian Broadcast Corporation, France 24 News, Al Jazeera English, old archive audio from NBC Universal, and of course, trusted sources on Wikipedia. 
For the next episode, we'll cross the border over into Iraq, where major demonstrations connected to Iran have been taking place for weeks. Until then, remember to expand your mind, join the movement, and learn all about social revolutions here on Under the Sea Bass. Have a blessed day.